0: We uh, pick back up where we left off this morning, we're going to look at uh, Article 11 in our covenant, our church covenant. Before we do that, let's uh, let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would meet with us this afternoon. We um, pray that you would bless us to uh, be able to be attentive to your word, and we pray that you would um, bless us to be reminded and and enter into even a refreshed, uh, renewed commitment to the church covenant. Uh, we thank you for it. We thank you for the insight behind it. And uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would bless us to strive to uh, grow in our commitment to these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we left off on number 10, so we're looking at number 11. That is the commitment, the promise to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, the commitment that we're making to one another is a commitment to give attention to spiritual growth. It comes from the wording of the article comes from 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Um, It's worth noting, verse 18 of 2 Peter 3 is a command. We are commanded to grow. And sometimes we can drift into the mindset that growth is optional, growth is passive, Growth will just somehow happen. But the truth is, whenever we look at it from Scripture, while it, there is a, a sense in which growth is cooperative, that is, the Spirit is working and we are working. Work out your own salvation, for it is God that works in you, both the will and the do, that is, the uh, uh, the uh, desire and the ability. Uh, we are to give attention to uh, spiritual growth. Sometimes that means that we, when, when the Lord reveals or, or through uh, some way or means, highlights, there's a particular, particular area that we need to grow in, uh, then we're focusing on that and we're seeking to grow in that. But sometimes what that means is we are just seeking to intentionally maintain a walk with Jesus Christ we are reading, we are praying, we're meditating, we're uh, fellowshipping in the body. We are doing the things that we know biblically lead to growth. Um, unfortunately, we can get, not everybody's here, but it's easy to get here. We can get into the mindset. Many churches have adopted the mindset that once an individual makes their initial profession of faith they've done all that needs to be done and they just kind of drift into the background and as long as they show up then that's that but that defeats that mindset defeats the entire purpose of why we assemble out of Ephesians chapter 4 we're assembling together so that we might um, uh, speak the truth in love so that we can grow up into our head uh, Hebrews chapter 10, we're supposed to be thinking about how we can stir one another up and provoke one another to love and to good works. And so growth and the commitment to grow and the call and challenge to grow, all of that is in line with God's purpose for his people whenever he calls us out of darkness and into light as we think about growing in more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We've talked about this uh, passage a couple of times here recently, this prayer that Paul prays for the saints. But it's worth noting here, starting in verse 9. Paul says, for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The prayer here is number one that the saints would be filled with knowledge. But we we don't stop there because it's not that Paul is praying that the saints in Colossae would be filled with knowledge so that they would be smarter or so that they would be better at debating or that somehow they would have this academic book knowledge that just swelled and swelled and swelled and swelled. Paul's prayer is that they would be filled with knowledge so that they might be fruitful unto every good work. And so as we're growing in knowledge, as uh, you've heard in other ways, as we're growing, that requires that we grow in our understanding of the Word so that that knowledge would lead to godliness, fruitfulness, Christ-likeness. So there's not just, as far as growth goes, it's not just accumulating a bunch of information. Scripture is supposed to result in transformation as we're changed more and more into the image of Christ. And what we're saying here is that we're committed to that. We're committed to growing in grace. A couple of things to remind you of and to point out as we think about this commitment. There are some things that are necessary here. Now this is assuming, when we're talking about the things that are necessary, this is assuming that uh, you have been converted and made a profession of faith. Once that's happened, and you're you've made a commitment to grow, there are some other things that are ne- that are necessary. First uh, Peter chapter two, uh, one and two. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Two things out of this. Number one, out of verse one, laying aside the things that are mentioned. A commitment, an ongoing commitment to growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is necessary. Repentance in an ongoing way is necessary. Secondly, this is the more obvious one. The word of God is necessary. That okay? you are not going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ if you aren't regularly in the Word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus' prayer is that we would be, that the Father would sanctify us. Okay, that's the same thing, same idea as growing. And that he would sanctify us through truth. It's his word that's truth. The, the spirit can use the word to motivate us, to change us, to transform us in ways that nothing else can. Okay, so the word is necessary. Second, out of 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. verses 4-5, 2 Peter 1, four through 4-5, says, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and so forth and so on, we're thinking about necessities when it comes to growing in grace. Effort is necessary. And I'm thinking about verse 5. Besides this, giving all diligence. That could also be translated making every effort. Same uh, same thing we were talking about out of Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge, so forth and so on. Growth is going to take effort on my part and on your part. It's not passive. It's not automatic. It's going to take effort. And then, out of Psalm 1, you get the picture of the godly man or the godly woman out of Psalm 1. The man or woman who is blessed. Bless the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Okay. The third point that I want to make here, the word is necessary, effort is necessary, consistency is necessary. Okay, the tree that is planted by the water, constantly being nourished, constantly receiving what needs to be received for growth to occur. And we've talked about this illustration before, but you can imagine a tree that's planted by the rivers of water one day a week and then you dig it up, and you set it on top of the soil for six, and then you put it back down by the water for another day, and then you dig it up, and it goes six more, and you get the pattern. That's a dead tree. doesn't matter how good the water was that one day out of seven. That's a dead tree. It's not going to make it. And so consistency. The spiritual disciplines are good. The spiritual disciplines are necessary, but consistency must accompany those disciplines. So it's good whenever we can be stirred up and we can get excited and kind of renewed or rejuvenated when it comes to our efforts and our uh, um, uh, commitments and so forth. Um, but we've got to make sure that whatever we're trying to do from a spiritual discipline standpoint, that whatever we're trying to do is sustainable for a longer period of time. Now, different people have different capacities for that sort of thing. Um Some people can read and take in a lot more than others. So you know yourself, and the question has to be, as far as this commitment to grow, how much can I I honestly commit to on a regular basis? So when we're thinking about implementations, how do we implement this? uh, We're thinking practically about how can I intentionally and habitually um, apply the spiritual disciplines disciplines to my life. So my Bible reading. What can I realistically do every day? At least at least most every day. But if I'm planning, what can I realistically do every day? Some people can realistically do the uh, the, the Robert Murray McShane plan, if you've ever seen that. Okay? It's got a couple of chapters in the Old Testament, a couple of chapters in the New Testament, a psalm and a proverb every day. Some people do that and they love it. Some people can't. Okay? Not, on a regular, not on an everyday deal. You know, January 1st, you may hit it and, and think this is great. Um, January 14th, you may think I should not have done this. So, so know your own capacities and how you think. Uh, meditation, you ought to you ought to make sure that in your spiritual disciplines, after you've read, you you give at least a little bit of time to meditating, meditating on what you've read. Um, usually, if I'm meeting with someone, I'm trying to uh, help them in this, I'll tell them, okay, if you're gonna if you got thirty minutes to do a devotion uh, to be in the Bible, you ought to spend um, starting out. You ought to spend about 20 minutes reading, about five minutes meditating, and about five minutes praying. And you ought to be praying about something you were meditating on, and you should have been meditating on something that you'd read in Scripture so that it's not a list of three separate things, but it's all building on what you're already doing. Next is obedience. Obedience. Matthew chapter 7 says this really is the difference between a wise person and a foolish person. If we're growing in grace and in the knowledge of the truth, then we're trying to um, intentionally implement what we're reading into our lives, applying Scripture. And then, of course, as far as the spiritual disciplines go, and we could keep going, but um, the church, gathering together, assembling together. All of those ought to be intentional and habitual. And you have a little bit of leeway on how you do that in your life. But the commitment is that you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that can be, I don't know, misguided might be the right word. I don't. It might not be, but a lot of times when people think about the commitment to grow, they're thinking about making... A big a big splash and big progress and big. They're just thinking big, 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 big. But if you think about this in relation to being transformed from one degree of glory to another, which is what Paul talks about in, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 3, uh, then we're talking about incremental changes. These aren't impressive in the short term, but they do show up in the long term. So think about, if we're thinking incremental changes, think about getting very motivated and over a three-week period making five degrees worth of change. That's a pretty big change in a three-week period, by the way. Five degrees. And you realize I cannot sustain this. And that's about where you end the year. Or think about over a year long period of making one degree after another, after another, maybe per week, maybe per month. Even if it was per month, you've still made more progress over a year than the person who got real excited for a couple of weeks. So sometimes we're we're outpacing ourselves with our expectations and what we're trying to do. It needs to be sustainable. You've got the rest of your life. You need to be doing something. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So whatever that is, there's different seasons in in life, but whatever that is, again, it needs to be sustainable. One of the main reasons why people fail at this is because they're trying to keep up with somebody else. You're not in competition. We're picking something that's sustainable for us, and then we're going from there. So, growth in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a commitment. And then last, number 12, the commitment is to love one another as Christ has loved us. Love one another as Christ has loved us. John 13. Just read the, uh, the, the texts that are on the, on the document on the covenant. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Okay, now this is, I mean, just this one statement here is a big statement reinforcing the importance of love that we have for each other. There are times where people try to pit different characteristics against each other. What's more important, love or truth? Well, here's a question. Can the church exist without truth? No. Can the church exist without love? No. It can't exist without either one of them. Sometimes people try to exalt one over the other and you get a horrible imbalance. But in Scripture, love and truth are not pitted against each other. Love and truth are complementary to each other. And Jesus says, this is how men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for each other. John 15 verse 12 this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then the last proof text is in first John, and then we'll think about this practically. First um, John chapter four seven and eight. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. So, really, in order for us to maintain any of this church covenant in a way that's honoring to the Lord, it's going to have to be done out of love for each other. Okay. There is no real unity in a church where there's not love. Now you might have a dry, formalistic, non-relational, um, cold atmosphere that has some sort of semblance of unity that probably is really passivity, but real unity, where we know each other's flaws and where we... Um, rub each other the wrong way at times and where problems get addressed and so forth and so on, that kind of unity does not exist without love. There's no real commitment to bearing up under each other's burdens without love. Outside of just... um, outside of a few personalities, that kind of thing's just not fun. That's not fun. You got your own problems. Why do you want somebody else's? Because you love them. You want to help them through it because you love them. And we could go through every other every other uh, article on the list, and it's got to come out of a love for one another that flows out of a love for God. So let's think about this practically. Look in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, And let's make a couple of observations. Let me read the first seven verses. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity or love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Charity suffers long. And is kind. Charity envies not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Charity or love bears all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Now, let me... Just make some observations here. These are bigger picture observations. Number one, as we think about love and what it means to love one another, based out of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is more than what you say. Okay, love's not just a bunch of words. Now, we can express love through words, but love is more than that. Paul says, if I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So love is more than words, although words can be used. Secondly, love is more than what you know. Love is more than what you know. It's more than just head knowledge. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Okay, now this is a picture of somebody in, in verse two who has mastered the Bible, as it were, accumulated knowledge, have all faith, well faith is based on revealed knowledge. And I could remove mountains, and I, but I don't have charity, then I'm I'm nothing. So it's more than just accumulated Bible knowledge. Number three, love is more than what you do. Paul says out of verse three, and though I bestow my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. So we get to the end of those three verses and you think, well, what's left? If it's not what I say, If it's not knowing more, and if it's not doing more, what are we talking about when we're talking about love? Well, love, whenever you look at verses 4 through 7, love is primarily expressed in how you relate to each other. Okay? It's primarily expressed in how we relate to each other. And you say, well, what's the difference in all of that? Well, I can have great words and be impatient. I can be speaking eloquent truth and be puffed up in and of myself. Love and humility go hand in hand. Love means I'm thinking about you more than I'm thinking about me. Love means I'm valuing you, esteeming you more than I'm esteeming myself. That's how we get to this long suffering and being kind and not uh, being jealous or puffed up or behaving in a rude way or being self-seeking or easily provoked or Uh, thinking evil and all those kinds of things. Love is relational. It means even though I know the things about you that I know that could provoke me to a blow up, that could provoke me to acting unkind, that could provoke me to jealousy or puffing myself up, even though I know those things and that could happen, out of love for you, I'm going to choose to be patient. Out of love for you, I'm going to choose to be kind. Out of love for you, I am not going to use you and your weaknesses to puff myself up because I happen to be strong in an area where you're weak. Okay? I'm not going to do that. And the opposite could happen. And so what does it mean to love one another? It means to intentionally relate to each other with these character qualities in mind. And so our speech is seasoned and influenced by these things. Our knowledge is being used to help us as we relate in this way. Our deeds and our actions are being influenced by, again, these Invisible character qualities that show up. So it's love one another. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Well, that's a high calling, isn't it? Think about all the forgiveness that goes into that. You Think about all the kindness that goes into that. All the grace that goes into that. All the mercy that goes into that. All the remembering of the covenant that goes into that. And so the commitment, number 12, is that we would love one another. And so that brings us to the end of the church covenant. I hope uh, I hope our time has been um, helpful to you. I hope it has stirred you up, and I hope that you'll uh, revisit this and begin to think about, and I say begin. As Sister Patsy said this morning, uh, the church does a good job of... Um, the aspects of this covenant, but, but we shouldn't be satisfied. We should be like Paul. We want to abound more and more in each of these things. And so that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would bless us, particularly in the two articles we just mentioned, that you would bless us to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be intentional about that, that we'd be realistic about that and that we would pace ourselves in a realistic way as to the spiritual disciplines and how much we bite off. And then, Father, I pray you'd bless us to love one another, that we would um, that we would esteem each other as more valuable than ourselves, that we would approach and relate to each other with patience and kindness and gentleness and uh, humility and um, lord all the things that are listed out there in first corinthians 13 it's not a it's not a formula but it is a way that we uh, draw near and love to each other father i pray you would open our eyes bless us to see where we can apply these things and pray that we would be faithful to you and the commitment we've made to each other in Jesus name amen